This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American waterfowl. Hello, and thank you for joining me for yet another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. My name is Elliot. This is episode, I don't know, 54, 55, 56, something like that. And you are hearing this right now only five days away. On day six from today, six days away, is the Nebraska teal opener. Friday is the dove opener. So we are right on it, guys. We are right on it. It is right here, right now. And I could not be more excited. All of the wait, all of the anticipation, all of the scouting has been done. And I have, I thought, if I really just want to talk about Teal, who do I want to bring on with me just to talk Teal? And one person stood out in my mind. And I consider myself, I don't consider myself a Teal expert but I do consider myself a teal fanatic and teal hunting is a very, very special. It it holds a special place in my heart. My first ever real duck hunt was a teal. My first ever duck hunting without waders was a teal at age 13. There is just something about it. I know there's some people that don't do it. They're like, Oh, it's too hot, whatever. I love teal hunting. I absolutely love everything about it, and we are right here. So this episode is going to be all about teal, all about what I have accumulated in my 30 years of hunting, and we have hunted a bunch of teal. And also, my guest is going to be Matt from High Prairie Sportsman. He is the one guy out of everyone I know that that I think is is as into blue-wing teal hunting as I am. Now, his favorite duck is a green-wing teal, but this guy loves teal hunting. 
He gets after it. He scouts it hard. So I thought this is the perfect person to have come on with me and just talk teal. And we are just going to talk teal. We're going to talk about habitat teal, like whether it's a pass shooting or decoying sport. If you're only getting pass shots, what you can do better to improve that. The back Matt's background story on teal. And we're just going to deep dive on the topic. Oh, man, almost here, almost here. But before we bring Matt on, I do want to remind you guys, if you are listening to this before August 31st, you can still get in on the Patreon hunt giveaway, the Freelance Stuck Hunting North American Waterfowl Patreon hunt giveaway, where you can come. I don't know if it's going to be in Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri. Or I don't know where we're going to hunt, but you can come and we're going to buddy it up and we're going to hunt. In order to get signed up for that, you've got to go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. Whatever tier you enter in at, that's the number of entries you're going to have for um, when I spin the wheel. So if you come in at the $5 entry, you'll have five five entries. Um, five, Your name will be five times on the wheel. But then on the 31st at 7 o'clock central, on the live stream of the Freelance Duck Hunting YouTube channel, you'll be able to get more entries that night if you want to. And so however many entries you have, I'll put your name on the wheel that many times. We'll spin that sucker and whoever's name lands on it is going to come with me this year. And we're going to hunt together on like a Friday, Saturday. I don't know if we'll be able to wrap it into a three day. I'm not sure. It'll be at least two days. So patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. This is year three. And I can tell you the other two years have been, Really, really memorable, really fantastic. Lifetime friendships have been made through this event. So go on over there, patreon.com slash freelance stuck honey. Get signed up. Come to the live stream on the freelance stuck honey channel, August 31st, which is this Thursday, if you're listening to this before that time. And we're going to do this. So go on over there and get signed up. If you have any questions about it, feel free to contact me, freelance duck hunting at gmail.com. Feel free to contact me at Instagram at freelance duck hunting. And we can talk about it. I'd be happy to answer any questions you have. So before we bring Matt on here, I do want to mention Ducklander Calls. That's Bobby Hayes' call company. He started that sucker from scratch, built it from the ground up, and his calls are fantastic. And he is becoming quickly a big part of um, this podcast. He's been on there, gone down here five times now out of my 50-some episodes. It's almost 10%. He is definitely a contributor to this. And we are now partnering um, a little bit here on the podcast, a little bit over on YouTube. I put out that video um, of him helping me with my duck calling. If you go over there, ducklandercalls.com, and you put in the code NAW, that's N-A-W-23, then you will get 10% off his calls. And his calls are fantastic. He's got a range of selection to, to look from and choose from. So go over and check that out. Also, don't forget, if you're not using Onyx Hunt, you are missing out because it is absolutely I, I i don't know if if you just took onyx out of my waterfowl hunting life i would be so sad i mean it, it we use it every single hunt for one thing or another <clears throat> i was scouting with fumbles a few days ago a couple weeks ago actually and uh we we're going into a place i hadn't been to for a while and i wanted to see how far of a walk it was boom i hit the tracker and now it's trailing me and I know exactly how far that trail is that I walked in. If I'm going in the dark, I've got that trail to follow. It is, you've got to get it on X Hunt. So without further ado, we are going to now bring on here my personal buddy 
and someone I've hunted with about five or six times. We're going to hunt with again in the sand hills. He's going to help me check off that bucket list of mine hunting in the sand hills, and we are going to deep dive this blue wing teal stuff. So here we go with Matt from High Prey Sportsman. All right, Matt, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Sweating. <laughs> yeah, I did, I, I did a little intro um, before I brought you on, and what I said was, and this is this is the truth, I'm not trying to suck up to you. I'm like, I was thinking about who could I have on here if I just want to do like all about teal and you are the one person that I know hang out with a little bit hunt with that is into teal hunting as much as I am. Oh yeah. I'm, I love it. I mean, it's, it's your, it's like an appetizer to actual duck season. So anytime I can go out and hunt ducks, I'm going to do it. So yeah. Yeah. Cause you get at them. I would get at them as hard as you did if my time time allowed, but I mean, you get at after how many teal hunts do you typically go on in a year? I'm guessing like 15, 20, uh, just during the, like just during September, how many hunts do you think you'll get in September? So we only have, I think it's a 16 day season for Nebraska. And part of 20, that 20 would be a little hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say between nine and 11. Yeah. You need to bounce, you need to bounce over for that last weekend. Yeah. See, I, I would this year, except I've got a wedding to go to. My, ah. my buddy has a fall wedding planned. Even how close are you? How good of friends are you? Well, uh, it's it's my buddy Devin from. He was on the first couple of years on the channel. What is he doing? I I know he's a deer hunter too, and it's Husker and, Game Day. So his his, his woman is ro is controlling his life. Can we agree on that? <laughs> I I don't know. I'm, I haven't met her. She's she seems sweet though. So. <sighs> So how many, how many, teal, just in that 16 days, how many days do you think you'll hunt? Uh, I would guess probably 10. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, normally you need to plan to come down to Kansas on that last weekend and maybe we can link up, um, some of those areas that we, we, of course you could, you, so why, where's the border? I guess you don't have to be very specific about your geography because the places that I'm looking to hunt in Nebraska, Hold on, because you you only have two weekends, right? There's yeah. a part. Isn't there a part of Nebraska that only has two weeks, and you're in that part? Or explain it to me. There's yeah. So there's a it, it's a split. It's I think it follows about the high plains, low plains split. So one side of the state gets nine days, the other side gets sixteen days. Um, yeah. So I get. I mean, I bounce around, but yeah, I get two weekends. Yeah, but you bounce around enough, you'll get your three. So is is that wedding on the third weekend? Is that on the last weekend of the Kansas? Or is that yeah, on the that, last weekend of Nebraska? That 23rd weekend. So I think September 23rd. Whatever. About that time, yeah. Let me check your calendar real quick. Yeah, okay. So that's the so you'll hunt the second, the ninth, and the sixteenth. So you'll get you'll you'll get three weekends. You just miss out on that last right because that's the last one of kansas yeah is that weekend and then the next weekend is wyoming's big duck opener and goose opener and crane opener in some areas and then nebraska opens the week after yeah you know jobman's got tons of good teal ground and they don't hardly hunt it and i'm like i was thinking about you and i'm thinking oh. how could because I, I know if i was around there i could probably get on it but I'm just thinking, how could I make that connection for Matt? <laughs> <laughs> they don't hunt it hardly. Uh, that, that's crazy. Well, I, and I can see that too. I mean, there's other September rolls around. People are thinking more antelope or 
deer, even elk in some places in Nebraska. So, yeah, and he's oh. still going full full bore with his eighty dog kennel. So they're still oh, like yeah. every day and still hunt testing. They've got the grand and stuff in October. So, you know, but we got to figure out a way to get in on that. That'd be pretty fun. So. Um, so I brought you on here because you're as adamant a teal hunter as I am. It's for you. The green wing teal is your favorite duck, right? Oh yeah. Yep. I love them little green wings. And for me, the blue wing teal is my second favorite duck. So we both have, we both have teal. The reason I like blue wing so much is because it's just like that little segment that it's all by itself. And when they get balled up and they're just so much fun, they're such a fun little duck. So I want your background of teal hunting because um, I've never I've never really gone into your background um, with 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 specifically teal. Like, when did you start hunting them? At what point have you always always hunted them this much, this frequently? Just give me your your background on on blue wing teal hunting. Yeah, so I guess I really started teal hunting when I was in college. So that would have been probably about 2011 ish or so. And the, I mean, there was a time when I would go out hunting. Granted, I probably wasn't carrying a shotgun at that time that we didn't have a teal season. Um, so there was, I, I started about in college even. And at that time we even had early goose in Nebraska, I believe. But mm. um, yeah, so I, I went to UNL, I was hunting Denver lakes and wetlands around, you know, the Lincoln area around, you know, it, people probably know where I'm talking about if they go to school there or in that area. But, uh, so that's, that's kind of where I started out teal hunting. I mean, I duck hunted prior to that, but just never because I was in high school or had other things going on, never really did specific teal hunting. But once I had a little bit more time and, you know, my own vehicle and all that good stuff, I had, I had the time to do so. And it's really not too, um, resource I get, I'm trying to find the right words here. It, it really doesn't take a lot to have a successful teal hunt, you know? Yeah, it's easier. So, yeah. So in college I had the time I had, had the resources and that's when I started. Um, and I really got more into it though, after I graduated and moved out to where I am now, just because I had even more time and more resources. And it's, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like I've grown even more addicted to duck hunting. And I didn't even think that was possible after college, just because even though I have a full-time job, I also have more time on the weekends and time after work and even time before work, depending um, on the time of year. So it, it really, that, that fire for that passion for waterfowling really uh, intensified after I graduated college. And did you, hunting. did you hunt in high school for, did you duck hunt in high school? Yeah, we did. Um, it would, it was like my dad and I, we would go out mm -hmm. and then, uh, we'd always have a, uh, traditional trip. We have cousins out in far Western Nebraska and we'd always do a family hunt out there with them. Um, but nowhere near what I do now, just cause like I said, you know, my dad's, he farms. So we were harvesting corn and beans at the time. Um, and they were just, all, you know, all the usual high school stuff going on. I was in football, yeah. um, all that other good stuff. So about how many times in high school a year would you have duck hunted, do you think? Oh, um, probably, 
probably six to 15 per right. season so, counting. Like so you still loved it, but the rest of life was just so busy that, um, you didn't hone in on it until college. Yeah. And, you know, also I didn't really have the means where, you know, part of the time I didn't have my own vehicle or I wasn't even old enough to drive, even though I would have mm. liked to. So, um, yeah. So you went to college and started, did you find a group of guys at college that you started hunting with or what, what ignited it more when you got into college? I think it was just, you know, kind of more, more independence, more, I had more time. I, I had a lot more time to do stuff. Uh, so I really delved into it even more than I was already. And, um, uh, I, I did find some other like-minded people or people that were, hunters, but maybe never waterfowl hunted. I, mm-hmm. I converted a couple people. So you were kind of leading college. the charge. You were kind of leading the charge with your friend group with the duck hunting. Yeah. Yep. Right. And did Ben page hunt? Did you hunt with him at that time? I, yeah. So I actually helped introduce Ben page to waterfowl hunting. Oh, nice. nice. So <laughs> yeah, it might've been a teal hunt actually. Now that I think about it, I think I know all we got that day, I believe is a teal but I can't remember if it was during big duck or teal season. Yeah. So how, how, what kind of group did you have in college? How many guys around you hunted duck hunted with you? Oh, I bet eh, probably eight, eight to 10 different guys. Oh, okay. And wow. Yeah. It's, it, and it just varied. Um, but were you the most addicted out of all of them? So you went all the time and like the group shifted around you kind of, or was everyone kind of collectively just really into it? I, I think I was definitely the most addicted to it. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, some of these, uh, I bet there were a good handful of them that, like I said, never had never gone before. You know, they, they, I like, Hey, you guys want to go duck hunting? Yeah. Let's, I want to try that out. So, um, that's what we did. And I will stop because I don't know if I properly introduced this. I just assumed people know Matt. It runs the high praise sportsman YouTube channel. He's also the host on foul front podcast. So if I didn't say that to give all you guys context of, of who he is, I should probably, probably mention that. So, so, so go ahead. So through college, you were hunting a ton and then it even accelerated after that. You said, yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, you, you get your first full-time job and, basically more independence, more, I'm you're working 40 hours a week or more, but you also have more money. It's, you know, you know, it's not going towards tuition and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Just have enough for rent and whatever else. But, uh, yeah, you got, you got to find something to do with the free time. And, you know, I, I've always been passionate about waterfowl from a very young age and that, yeah, once I had the means and, more, even more time. It just, it was like a magnifying glass just intensified it. Right. And so you said that there was a time in Nebraska where there wasn't a teal season. When, when was that? Yeah. um, I can't remember when it, when it started in Kansas in my mind, it, it's been my whole life, but I wonder if I'm just thinking of, see my, my first year of actually duck hunting avidly was 91. And before that, it was just upland game. That was about the year they shifted from steel to or from lead to steel. And, and I think that there was a teal season from that point on, I think. See, I want 
and I might be wrong here. I want to say it was 2003, but I don't know for sure. Trying to find uh, something that says that, and it might be even earlier than that. Um, trying to find, I'm trying to find when it actually even started. My dad would know. Well, oh well, radio silence probably isn't good for the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> We're both here searching <laughs> online. I don't know, but so, but in college, was there a teal season? Yeah. Yep. We okay. had uh we had we had the early teal season then and then um we even had early goose. So like what they what they have in Indiana or you know, all them other places. So Yeah. But we don't have that anymore. Yeah, I don't think we've ever had an early goose. Missouri does have an early goose. But yeah, we, we never have. Uh and were you were you guys having quite a bit of success teal hunting during that time? No, I just, I didn't have, uh, I mean, I would scout and stuff, but for whatever reason, just wasn't in the best teal areas. Mm-hmm. And I probably, if I would have drove probably another hour west or so, probably would have found some more, but uh, still, still enough. Um, in fact, I, I can remember one hunt specifically. I went to this, this public, uh, lake and, I was the only one out there for the teal season here. And it was the day of a Husker game, Husker home game. And one year in college, I had a house in the bottoms, which is pretty close to Memorial stadium. And we would host tailgates and all that good stuff. So I get back from this teal hunt. I think I only shot one or two, but they're hosting a tailgate already. And I come in fully camoed out, carrying these little (laughs) teal through this tailgate. And I was like, Hey, you guys want to try some teal? So I cut them up and we cooked them for the tailgate. And that's uh, so I, I use the uh, hashtag tailgating for like <laughs> yeah. all my all my uh, game day teal and duck hunts. So that's kind of right. where that started. Yeah, that's great. Teal is delicious. I I had no idea that a lot of guys in the South say that blue wings don't taste good until the last several years. I heard that for the first time. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've always thought of teal as just like delicious. I mean, they're. The blue wings, I think the green wings are as well, but the blue wings I know are pretty closely related to the shoveler. So Mm -hmm. they're, I mean, people say they don't like eating shoveler, but if you cook everything right, it tastes good. Even Gadwall. Yeah. I didn't realize that until I had a biologist tell me that like how closely shovelers and blue wing teals are, teal are. And if you looked, especially at a, at a little nice looking hen shoveler, I mean, their wing speculum is identical. I mean, they do look extremely similar when you really get get to looking at them, but I, I've always thought that they were they were fantastic birds and table fare specifically. Um, so, part of what I want to do with this podcast with you is help people that maybe don't have the teal experience that maybe you and I do, and maybe they're a little bit more casual about it, or they like to increase their success rates. So, we're just kind of gonna go through things that maybe we've learned over the past however many years with our teal hunting. I know that my own personal teal hunting has progressed greatly since the early nineties. I mean, we are so much more successful. We shoot them in so much closer. So uh, that's kind of the goal is to just help people that maybe don't have the history of, of success 
that we do with kind of how they can be a little more successful and um, amplify their game. Let's start off with, with habitat. When you're looking for teal and you're scouting, what do you personally look for as far as habitat? What I like to look for um, is like shallow marshy areas, shallow wetlands. And I'm also looking for teal, teal food a lot. Um, Smartweed, smarticus von weedicus, as you call it. There you go. (laughs) And uh, barnyard grass. I look for those two specifically. Barnicus von gracias. (laughs) I didn't know that one. So I just made it up last weekend. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, those are the, uh, you know, that shallow water and then that food source. I'm looking for those things specifically um, to start out with. And then I'm also looking for if you, if you've got a built-in hide even better. And what I mean by that, like a lot of areas um, you can find little wetlands where they're formed in crop fields, where it's just been wet because of excessive rain or even like irrigation runoff or whatever. And the teal just pile in there and you have a hide already there from the cornfield um, or, you know, thicker weeds or grass or whatever else you can use to hide. It just makes it a lot easier than, hauling in an A-frame or something else. Right. That's one thing that you touched on the, the, the depth of the water that I had didn't know for a long time during teal hunting. I was looking for smart weed and I would find waist deep smart weed. And cause a lot of times with teal, cause teal can hide. So a lot of times I would just have to like habitat scout and be like, okay, this looks like a good spot. So I'm just going to go to it. And I learned that that waist deep, Smartweed. It's not that you won't get teal in there, but it's certainly even even like thigh deep. Those teal, they want that shallow water. If you can get three to four inches of smartweed, that's going to be much preferable to those teal than like so they want. They really like to be waiting, walking around. Um, so look for that shallow, shallow water versus the the deeper, the deeper smartweed. But I, I totally agree on the smartweed teal love love smart way you have anything else on habitat yeah um really shallow mud flats as well i hunted mm-hmm. i hunted some of those last year and i mean shallow it was just a little film of water just just enough i could actually see teal tracks in it in the in the mud underneath so mm-hmm. that's how, <laughs> right. it was kind of a pain to hunt but they were there yeah those are the hardest places to hunt and and again that's another one that like early nineties, I wouldn't have realized that if you have prolonged mud flats, in fact, we've got a place that we hunt and it was the opening day of last year. You've seen it on some of the videos. If you watch my teal videos where we sat in the boat blind, we couldn't get to the close to the shore. So we just sat in the boat blind, like 15 yards off the shore in mud flats and shot teal. They absolutely love those mud flats. And my assumption is that they're filtering out insects out of that. So they're scooping up, skimming off the mud and the water and filtering out insects that are just right off the top. Is, is that your understanding? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, just yeah. Filter feeding basically. Yeah. And so those are the, those are the two places I look for the most shallow smart weed, shallow mud flats, but yeah, those mud flats can be really different. In fact, I know talk about your shoes that you went on a couple hunts last year with some specialized shoes in that place. Talk about that. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I've waded through thick mud before and, uh, before, prior to last teal season, 
I'm like, uh, I'm, there's got to be someone out there that has something that I can use. So I just did some Googling and I came up on this company called Mudder Boots. And it's basically a snowshoe for mud. It kind of, when you pick your foot up, they contract. And then when you set it down, it, it expands. So it um, displaces your body weight over a larger surface area. And they worked in most of the mud I encountered last year. Uh, it, it really made life a lot easier uh, getting out on those on those mud flats to chase the teal. So where you were hunting without the shoes, because I, if I remember right, because you were sending Marcos, you were sinking maybe two or three inches, if I remember right. Without those shoes, how far do you think you would have sunk in that mud? So <laughs> I like actually half, took half deep or? I took my buddy out with me one of those places when he came out to hunt last year and he didn't have them. And I, I went that two to three and he was some places up to his knees in mud and it was oh just a gosh. slog for him. And I was just like walking over like it was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get a pair of those. I have got to get a pair because there's times where you find mud flats. Cause that's the thing about teal is that I don't want to hunt them with no cover at all. But sometimes you can hunt them with no cover at all. Yeah. And those that's the thing about the mud flats is getting out there, number one. And number two, how are you gonna hide when you're there? I bet that I bet though that hunt you were your gear was digging out from that mud for a couple weeks. Oh yeah, we were it was caked on everything. <laughs> Don't you hate mud hunts like that? Yeah, well, like the one we went on with uh Jordan and Josh when they <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah. That was an awesome hunt. That was. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. If you guys have not seen this video, so it was on the Flyways Collective collab season one. And Matt and Aiden and I, it's a video where you explain to Aiden what a chomo is. <laughs> oh, I, I for, yeah, that, that we had that guy that he was just saying that on all of all of our channels for like weeks. It's <laughs> gone. I want a Jomo and Aiden didn't know what it was. You're like, it's a child molester. Anyway, <laughs> I love that clip. You, we scouted forever because we were struggling to find anything. And then finally, right at the end, we found all these green wing teal in this little neck off this lake of the most silty, disgusting mud that you could think of. And that's when the one where Jordan did a belly flop onto the teal and, <laughs> Josh yeah. laid out on his back. Oh, that was that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know that place this year is full of millet, by the way. Ah, oh, I bet they, that's gonna be awesome. Only about one every five to ten years do they just load that place with millet, and uh, yeah, so keep it on your radar. That's not too far from you. Probably no. three hours. Is that like three hour drive? Mm, might be th three to four somewhere in there. I'd say. Yeah. It's a cool place, but anyway, so what else do you have on habitat? Is that pretty much it? Yeah, I think that, I think, you know, those are the main things I'm looking for, just shallow water, mud flats, and then teal food if I can, and then anything around cover. But yeah, the shallow, shallow flats, shallow wetlands, marshy areas, the, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I will say almost always, if you have a prolonged area of mudflats, you will find some teal on it during during September in our states. They're just, it, it may not be thousands, but you're going to find birds there. But then it just becomes, how, how are you going to get at them? But if you're not really sure to, where to look, that's definitely some place to glass because you, they can even, you know, on those mudflats, um, if there's not just 
loaded up with them. If you don't put binoculars on them, you might not even see them in those, in those situations. Um, so speaking of that, let's move on to scouting. I kind of know how I go about scouting for teal and, and I'll go through that, but have you already been scouting for teal and kind of what is your methodology when it comes to, and it's kind of hard because I know you probably hunt a lot of the same areas you from year to year where you're just like, I know there's going to be teal here, but just speak to your scouting progression with teal a little bit. Yeah, I guess I really start scouting them in about late July. I'm looking at that habitat. I'm looking at where there's smart weed. I'm looking at where there's barnyard grass and mm -hmm. where there's water. Um, this time of year, we can get thunderstorms that roll through and it can fill up a wetland just in one rain. We haven't uh, really had that happen yet this year. So there's a chance in a couple of days, I'm hoping that that'll happen. But uh, those areas that are dry, those wetlands that are dry, they might have a little bit of mud in them, but they're that, that smart weed and barnyard grass is there. So if they were to flood, if they were to catch that rain, that's a good spot to, you know, I would go back and check that prior to season or even during the season to see what it looks like for teal. So I, that's, that's what I'm really starting with, I guess, is habitat. Um, and then as it gets closer, I'm looking at actual bodies of water and I'm going early morning and I'm going right before sunset. Uh, I'm looking at, cause that's when the teal are going to be most actively flying. And I'm just, I'm just sitting there and I'm listening and I'm watching and I'm seeing what there is for just duck activity, but it's specifically teal activity. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And, and I, I would second that about the water when you're scouting for like mallards or, or geese late season, <clears throat> it's a completely different type of scout because right now it being August and moving into September, like we're in the middle of a massive, massive um, heat, heat wave to where we're getting hundred degrees every single day. So like the places that I, I scouted last week and I started my official teal scouting two weekends ago where it's like, now I'm scouting to set up where I'm going to hunt. And those scouts now for teal are almost invalid because we're looking for that shallow water. And now we go through this five, six days of hundred degrees. You're going to have to rescout all those. Cause that water just could be gone. And so I, I'm, I want to know, I do want to see teal. So I, I checked a spot last weekend. I hadn't been back in there for a couple of years. In fact, I've only hunted it for teal one time, but it's always on my radar. And I always try to get eyes on it before the teal season. And I was told that this pool was 20% full of water. And I went and looked at it and I'm like, oh, if this is 20% water. It was way, it seemed to me way more than 20% water. And I'm, it was like 1030 and automatically I saw, went in there, flushed a group of teal, saw another teal group of teal flying in the distance. And so for me, I'm like, okay, that's two groups of teal. We are three weekends away from the Kansas opener. I would feel happy to just hunt that because I see the water depth. I see the smart weed three weeks before season. There's already several flocks of teal. So I, I would, in that situation, I'm like, I'm good to hunt that. I probably don't even go back out there, but then we get this heat wave. And now it's like, I have to go lay eyes on that place again, because I don't want to get there and have it be completely dry on the opener just because of this, just because this crazy heat that we're, that we're dealing with. So it's like with, with the teal scouting for me, it's so much about water levels, even more so than where there, where there are birds are another place. The place I was talking about where we boat blind hunted the opener last year, 
Um, I would like to get out there and see that birds are using it, but I've hunted it enough to know that it's mud flats. The teal use it. And so it just all revolves around what the water levels are, what the water levels are doing, where you really don't have that aspect in late duck season. These hundred degree days, you can lose, you lose like an inch a day on a windy day at a hundred, 102 degrees. You can lose an inch every single day. So scouting really becomes, becomes water level based. Um, and I will say this about scouting for teal that I, that I have kind of discovered over the years is that if you're looking for actual birds, cause we ultimately, we do want to see teal before we're going into there. I mean, you can, I'll hunt some places based on historical data, but really I'd still want to see them. It just makes me feel better. And, and, uh, but teal can hide in the shortest of cover. Like you would not believe. And they will go silent during the day too. Now, sometimes like in the morning or at night, you can put ears on them. And even if you don't see them, you can hear, like if you just hear the little, <laughs> you know, a few times and you can multiply that by, I don't know how many, if you're hearing them, but you're not seeing them, you've got to realize you got to put a multiplier on that. There's probably a ton of them. If you're hearing those little quacks every so often, but those, those teal can disappear, especially during the heat of the day, they fly like that first 30, 45 minutes. And they go into those weeds and you go and scout and you don't think they're there at all. You're not hearing them. You're not seeing them, but, but they are probably still there. And if you get feet on the ground, I had one time where I was scouting a pool and I'm like, there's no teal here. There's no teal here. I bet you I got within 40 yards of them in cover that was no bigger than my calves and like 200, just like just exploded. So that's certainly one thing to keep in mind is that is that teal more than any other duck that from my from my knowledge can hide in a marsh yeah i would i would concur with that i've had similar situations scouting like middle of the day i'll drive by a wetland or something and you stop and you're just watching and it's smart weed that's two foot tall above the water surface mm -hmm. there and then whoosh, here comes all these ducks just exploding out of there because they, you know, they got nervous enough to fly. But otherwise, you wouldn't even know they were there. Yeah. And multiple experiences where I go and scout the night before, see a couple of groups and no front or anything. I go out in the morning. I'm like, wow, there's way more movement in here. That happens way more often with teal hunting than the opposite. It's like you're surprised by the number of teal more so than you are like, oh wow i thought i would do at least that's my my experience with it um another thing we talked about a little bit before on this and and i'm hoping that you've got more thoughts on this than i do when i hear people talking about teal hunting the first thing they want to bring up is how fast teal are or they want to talk about it being past shooting right and yeah teal and teal are quick right but if, if Matt or I were to describe teal hunting, we certainly wouldn't spend a lot of time talking about it being past shooting or they're so fast because that's, that's not our experience. So what, what are your thoughts on teal hunting? Is that typically a past shooting sport or more of a decoying? For myself, it's more of a decoying sport. Um, and it, it definitely, it takes some getting used to, um, just, there's, there's a lot of little nuanced things that go into it. Um, so I guess one tip would be on the first, like tip, teal will make several passes generally. Mm -hmm. And 
I've been guilty of this in the past where you're like, oh, they're right here. They're in range, but they're not ready to sit down yet. So you shoot them on that first pass when if you, you know, if I would have waited and what gave them another one or two passes, they might have sat down and offered better shooting um, uh, opportunities for everyone. So I, I've made that mistake in the past. And I think that's part of it is people see these birds and they just buzz their decoy spread so fast and they don't give them the opportunity to come back and actually decoy. And I think that's part of it. I, I totally agree. It's hard to be patient, but if you know you're in a deep now, if you're in a situation where you're like, man, I've scouted this a bunch. I think we may only get a couple of opportunities and by all means shoot what you can get. But if you're in a decent spot where you know there's some good teal, at least on the first group, if they're coming through, because teal fly about 30, 35 miles an hour. And it's not that teal are faster than other ducks. It's just they don't slow down through the decoys. Other ducks are actually faster, but they just tend to slow down as they approach decoys where teal don't necessarily slow down. And they're so acrobatic and they're so quick. They're dodging, they're darting. But let them come through on that first one. If they don't slow down at all and you don't see any feet down, because I want to shoot teal feet down. Um, so let them go through that first time. Think about that because you can call teal on the corners just like you can mallards. So think of it as a circle. They come through your spread. They circle around. They hit the far outside left or right of that circle and hit them with a little teal quack. And a lot of times either there are, they're going to come all the way around and come in just naturally, or you can turn them. You actually can turn them with the teal call and that second or third pass, you'll get them feet down. Or if you even let them land, if you like, let, I, if, if there's a group, I really like to have three or four teal feet hit the water. Um, I, I That's the most fun for me. It's like the first ones hit the water and you got about 10 behind them with their feet down, just getting ready to hit the water. That's like ideal. And in that scenario, the shooting is very, very easy. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it, it presents great shooting opportunities for everyone there typically. Yeah. So that, that first pass of the day, especially get, let them pass through, let them pass through. And I mean, I would say more than the first pass, but put that in your repertoire, put that in your thought. I've, I've seen videos on YouTube of, of people teal hunting where you're like, Oh man, come on. Don't, don't let them pass. Let them go through. Don't, don't take that first thing at 25, 30 yards when they're not even slowing down. Let's see, let's see what they do. See, see how they act. Cause a lot of times like any other duck, they'll act groups will act the same. So if the first group does something, the second group may do the same, the same, the same thing. And now you're shooting birds with their feet down at 10, 15, instead of shooting a pass shooting 35 mile an hour bird that's winging around, you know, that's a lot harder shot. Um, what, what else do you think would help people transition from more shooting pass shooting teal and decoying them? Uh, cover, uh, mm -hmm. a hide. Um, you know, they, they are a duck it now you don't got to go all out for your hide, but mm -hmm. if you're sticking out, they will see that they're, you know, and I think part of it is because people think, oh, we're just going to pass shoot them anyway. So all I need is a bucket and I'll go sit close to a march or something. Yeah. So, I mean, it, the better your hide is, the better opportunity you're going to have to decoy them. Um, and then if you can getting away from people, because if you've right. ever been at a public marsh on during teal season, especially like opening day or something, it's like mm -hmm. a war zone. Cause they're just, it's, it's hard to decoy them at that point. So I think right. that's part of why people, you know, 
start pass shooting them then. Yeah. And I will say the obvious one is spinners. Teal love spinners. And so a couple of strategically placed spinners in your decoy. And I used to not like dove spinners, but I've now I, 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 I didn't like dove spinners, Matt, for the same reason why um, you and I both want to use teal decoys instead of hen mallards. It's like, I want what actually looks like what I'm hunting. Yep. I don't want some little dove, some little dumb dove spinner, but I know the dove spinners do work, but teal love, they love spinners for sure. So when we first started teal hunting, we thought of it as a um, pass shooting. And, and I'm thinking the difference is that the adjustments that we have made from just pass shooting teal versus decoying would be understanding the shot selection. The, we switched to all teal decoys, which I don't care what people say. I, I just think it makes a difference. Um, I don't know how much of a difference teal decoys make over hens, but I think that it makes a difference. I bet you anything, if you put, if you put, if you had a huge mud flat areas and you put two dozen mallard decoys on one side and two dozen teal decoys on the other, I bet you they land in the teal more than they would the mallards. Um, and then the teal call. Those are the attributes. So, Speak. I've heard you talk about this, but speak uh, to how you feel about de- teal decoys. There's nothing we disagree about on this, Matt. I wish there was something <laughs> that we could like jar about, but it's like I think we believe exactly the same things on this. So, talk about your thoughts about teal decoys versus hen mallet decoys. Yeah, I uh, you know I to borrow a common phrase from the fly fishing community. I like to match the hatch, so I'm trying to match what's out there. And if I'm teal hunting, I just I want teal decoys and I don't want them to have full plumage. I don't want them. I want them to look like they're eclipsed teal, whether that's green wings or blue wings. So that doesn't mean I won't and haven't ran, you know, run, uh, yeah, can't talk, ran um, full plumage teal decoys before in the past, but I prefer running just all brown ones because I want to be as realistic as possible. But I'll mix in some hen mallards actually. But that's because spots where I hunt, usually there's a couple local mallard groups. So it's more not because it's attracting teal. It's because I've spotted that species in the area Um, for a similar reason. You know, I'll run coot decoys in some of those wetlands. And actually, I was talking to a guy about running coot decoys for teal season. Um, and he was explaining how the coots will actually dislodge vegetation, like pull it up by the roots or whatever they'll root around. And it, all that, those little invertebrates that the teal are eating and the seeds, Hmm. it kind of kicks them back up into the water and they can filter feed on that. So they'll follow coots and when, you know, where they coexist in the same area. So if I'm seeing coots in the same area, I'm running coot decoys. Uh, there's even a few geese around and sometimes I'll run goose decoys out if, if that's what it takes to get the teal confident in my spread. Yeah. I, I did not know that about coots. That's really, that's really interesting. And I agree exactly the same as what you're saying is I want to match exactly what's in there. How much does it help? I don't know, but I believe over, if you shoot 20 more teal over a 10 year period, it's worth it. I mean, it has to have some positive, we, I don't know how much, but it has to have some positive and it certainly makes me feel better. We switched over to, cause you can get fall plumage teal. We switched over to those. I think 
Because before, that's always bugged me about teal decoys. I don't want them to have spring plumage on it. It just, I, it just always bugged the crap out of me. But they all came like that. Let's see, it was probably five years ago we found um, fall plumage teal. And now the, now I'm using the FA decoys, which they've got eight. They call them hens. I don't know why they call them hens and not fall plumage. Those eight out of their pack, the FA pack. And then they've got a couple of um, the plumed out ones, which I wish they didn't have those. And they've got some green wing decoys. But it's a nice pack. It's a nice 12 pack with a little 20. They, they have a carrying case of 24. I really like those those decoys. It just looks better. They're easier to carry in. How many decoys do you normally like to run? I only, you know, I'll use probably two to three dozen tops with maybe a couple spinners. Um, sometimes I don't even use that many. It really just kind of depends on the area. Yeah. If I can, I want to run four dozen. And I don't know that that's any better. I just like it better. I just always figure that more birds signal better food source. And I, and again, I don't know how much difference it makes, but if I can get four, four dozen out, I'm happy. I mean, we will use less than that, but I, I like to have four dozen and two spinners. I wish that I had teal spinners. I had one, but we took the guts out of it and turned freak baby into a spinner. <laughs> <laughs> I should resurrect that spinner for teal season. <laughs> But I do like to have two spinners. Is that normally what you run as two spinners? Yeah. Yep. No. And do you use a teal call? I do. I uh, actually I have a whistle and then a actual teal call as well. Is it is it a poke pattern one or do you have a different one than that? Yep. I got actually got them right here. Um, I got the poke pattern teal call and the whistle. Yeah. Let's hear that. Will you blow that poke pattern for us? Yeah. We'll try. Yeah, I, I love I used to use the Duck Commander teal call, which is fine until Chris Polk sent me one of those. I just find them superior. In fact, I was over at um Bobby Hayes' shop and he was helping me with my duck call and I made a video of that and I showed him that and he blew it and he was pretty impressed with it. He liked it. So um that's high praise. Yeah, yeah. I I love it. <laughs> so yeah, I do. I, I probably I know that I overblow my teal call. It's one of my goals for teal season this year is to I get so excited that I like my teal calling when I'm not doing it. But I get so excited. I tend to like blow it too hard and too frantically because teal, if you really just hear that cadence, it's kind of a relaxed little cadence uh, yeah. that they run. And I've got and I've, back offline. <laughs> I've even mouth called before for them. So it's <laughs> all right. Let's hear the mouth call. Come on. you and golden boy should get together because he actually likes mouth calling too and i've heard him mouth call teal before i'm sure that works i'm sure oh yeah i mean it works for mallards so i don't do that call for mallards but well i've been around you when you've used the mouth call that way that we were scouting together you got turkeys to gobble you got um i think it was like a mule deer to stop dead in its tracks there was something else i thought there was like three things but all of your mouth calls, because Jordan was always talking trash on your mouth calls. And when I was around you, every mouth call you tried worked. Yeah, he, he's not a believer. Jordan, you could like, I, I can't, you could be a quarterback and win the Super Bowl and be the MVP and Jordan would talk trash to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you only have one ring? <laughs> yeah, right. It's just sport for him. It's just <laughs> sport. <laughs> 
Oh, so I'm saying, is there anything else you can think? Oh, I know what we didn't hit is ID tips, which you brought, which is, you know, um, there's a lot of wood ducks around this time of year. Talk about what people can do to make sure they're not shooting either shovelers, tin pin tails, wood ducks. Yeah. So you kind of just hit on the, about the three main species that you generally see during teal season. Um, so first and foremost, I start with size, teal or well, the green wing is the smallest dabbling duck in North America and the blue wing isn't much bigger. So they're all smaller than shovelers, pintails, mallards, wood ducks, whatever. Um, so if you can, if you've got a good scale for size, that that's a good indicator. Another really good one is the body shape. So if it's coming in, how, you know, if you can see it flying, pintails are going to have a long neck. They're going to have a tail that comes to a point, hence their name. Um, uh, the wood duck is going to have a square shaped tail and it's going to have kind of that, that mullet, both the hens and the drakes. And then on the shoveler, obviously it's going to have the big bill, the spoon shaped bill. Uh, it's going to be a little larger than the teal and they, those can be tough because they're going to be generally eclipse plumage as well. And they have the exact same speculum as a blue wing teal. So, you know, them and wood ducks get mistaken for teal quite often just just because it's early and they're all brown and, you know, people aren't doing their due diligence. Um, I guess the biggest tip I could give for teal ID is if you're unsure of your target, it's okay not to shoot it. You can, and, and let it land, put some binoculars on it. If you're unsure, I've done that before. And where, you know, in the central flyway, we can shoot teal 30 minutes before sunup. It can be dark at opening, you know, right at opening. So there's no harm in just sitting there and waiting if you're unsure and you can even listen to them. You know, if, if you have an ear for what teal sound like, they're going to sound different than wood ducks. They're going to sound different than shovelers. So um, those are all good indicators of how to distinguish between the species. Yeah. And I would add to that in your scouting, be specifically watching for what ducks you're seeing. I think for me, because I did make a mistake a few years ago. And the reason I made the mistake is we don't normally... Um, depends on what side of the state that I'm hunting, like where I live, we can get more wood ducks, but mostly where I teal hunt, all we see is teal. It's pretty much a non-issue. And so if you get to the point where you're not actively looking for it, then you can let your guard down, which is what happened to me. I had a really small widgeon float into the decoys. I pulled up on it. I realized there was something wrong. And in my split second, I tricked myself into saying, I bet you it's green wing. And I killed a, and I killed a widgeon. But the main issue was, is that I wasn't, I was overconfident that we only had teal in the area. So just keep that, that even if you think you only have teal in the area, you're still trying to get that mental confirmation in your mind before you pull the trigger and not just being like, I know this is teal coming in and, and you're shooting. I think that that's a lot what happens during teal season is people just like, Oh, that's all that's around is teal, but you never know when something else is going to slip in. So you want to get that, that mental confirmation. Yes. Yes. Teal. And that little, you know, a lot of times that little white spot, that little white cheek spot is kind of visible. The underside of their wings is a lot lighter colored, obviously the blue, the blue speculum. But um, I think if you just keep it in your, the forefront of your mind too, I need to still make sure an ID you're going to reduce, if not completely eliminate shooting illegal ducks yep well i think that's about it can you give me about 10 more minutes to maybe 15 that we can go to the patreon and i want you to share with the patreon listeners 
maybe a teal hunt that sticks out in your mind as just like an epic blue wing hunt that you can just kind of tell us about. Yeah. Yeah. Not a problem. All right, cool. So we are going to jump over <clears throat> to Patreon and have held a little bit a longer conversation over there. I want to remind you guys, you can still get in on the hunt giveaway. It's patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. So go get signed up for that. And once you get signed up, you can hear this remaining section of Matt and I talking over on Patreon. And you know what else we didn't talk about, which we can do over there is, you know, kind of do you have your opening day spot picked out and what's your process with that? And, and so we will do that. So um, if you're on Patreon, you can just continue listening over here on Patreon. If not, you have listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Oh.